Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by Students For You. My name is Peter Roman, and this is episode four of the winter semester of the quarantine edition of my show slash podcast. Today, I know normally on my show I talk about lots of different sports topics, but today is just going to be one sport. It's going to be NFL football. And that is because the Super Bowl was this past weekend. And then I'm also going to talk a little bit at the end about what to look for next season type of thing. And storylines going into the offseason. There will be free agency, the draft, and all that fun stuff. But have to start with the Super Bowl game itself this past weekend. Which, if I'm honest, was a little bit of a disappointment and I think I think a lot of that just had to do with the hype going into the game because on one side you had the defending champions with you know probably the best quarterback in the league and on the other side you had of course the greatest of all time and the I don't want to say Cinderella run because that's unfair to Tampa Bay but definitely the um more of the underdog story, for sure, on the Tampa Bay side of things. So you, those were the two storylines. It was very exciting going into the game. And Tampa Bay absolutely dominated. 31-9 to was the final score. It's the first time ever in the Patrick Mahomes era. And I know it hasn't been that long. But since Mahomes became the starter, the Chiefs have never not scored a touchdown in a game. And so, the Buccaneers were the first team to shut out Kansas City out of the end zone. Full credit has to go to the Bucks' defense. And so, there's a lot to dissect from this Super Bowl game. And I've decided to split it up into thirds. So, I'm going to start by talking about the game takeaways and more of the Buccaneers' side of the game. Then I'm going to go to the Brady stuff, because that needs to be its own thing. And then I'll go to what went wrong for Kansas City. So... From the Buccaneers' side, this was an absolute defensive masterclass. I mean, I'm going to go down the line here, but it is, you know, outstanding performance after outstanding performance on the defensive side of the football. But, of course, the biggest takeaway from this game has to be that play of the defensive line against the Chiefs' offensive line. And this was something that, you know, was talked about going into the week, about how these Chiefs starting right tackle, Mitchell Schwartz, he's been out for most of the season with a back injury. And then their left tackle, Eric Fisher, suffered a torn Achilles in the AFC Championship game against Buffalo. And so that, in addition to, of course, um, Duverde Tardif, who opted out to help out in long-term care in Montreal before the season, Kansas City had a very different-looking offensive line than what they had a year ago in the Super Bowl. And Tampa Bay took advantage. Shaq Barrett was just relentless the entire game. Jason Pierre-Paul was really good. Vita Vea, this guy, he is just, like, he is humongous and just such a powerhouse at defensive tackle. And Ndonokan Sue, also very solid performance out of him. And... That led to a, and this was a stat on ESPN, this was a Super Bowl record 29 pressures on Patrick Mahomes. No quarterback has ever been pressured in a Super Bowl 
more than what Mahomes was on Sunday. And that's not really that surprising, if we're honest with ourselves. But interestingly, though, and, you know, this is a little bit off topic really quickly, but the other two most pressured quarterbacks in a Super Bowl game, second place was Jim Kelly, the former Buffalo Bills quarterback. He was pressured 25 times in a Super Bowl game. And third place is actually Tom Brady, believe it or not. But it's not the game you think it is. It's actually the Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl, the one that New England made that heroic 25-point comeback against and ended up winning the game in overtime. So just a fun little side note there. But anyway, the, the defensive line, again, exceptional. All game long, Patrick Mahomes was running for his life and... It was just relentless, and it was nonstop, and all of those guys deserve so much credit for their performances on Sunday. Moving up a little bit into the linebacker positions, Devin White. Like, one of the ways that teams with poor offensive lines counteract good pass rushes is by running the football, number one. And number two, a lot of screen passes, because screen passes allow you to slow down the pass rush and to like set up blockers in good positions. It really helps for when your protection isn't holding up in the pocket. And Kansas City did try some of that stuff early, but Devin White was so good at snuffing out any hint of a screen or, you know, just hunting down Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the backfield. And so... The speed of Devin White made that really hard for Kansas City to try and to try and pull off the plays that normally you would use to counteract a good pass rush. And so he deserves a ton of credit for that. He also had the interception late in the game in this one. And then Levante David. This guy, I could not be happier for him, to be honest, that Tampa Bay won this game. Because Levante David has been there longer than anybody else in Tampa Bay. He has been there through some real, real rough patches uh, because this team was not very good. This team was a losing team forever. Levante David was perennially underappreciated, I think, by NFL media, NFL circles, because he played in Tampa Bay and nobody really cared about Tampa Bay until this year. And so to see Levante David getting the praise he deserves, to see him winning a Super Bowl is really, really cool. And I loved loved that part of it. He did an exceptional job in this Super Bowl because he had to guard Travis Kelsey for most of the game. And Kelsey did end up with over 100 yards receiving, but a lot of that was in garbage time. And so Levante David, exceptional performance as well. And then I can't forget the guys in the back end, in the secondary. Jordan Whitehead, their safety, played through a torn labrum. Like... That must have been really painful. He was still, though, Whitehead was still dishing out big hits, just like he was against Green Bay uh, a couple weeks prior. So full credit to him. Antoine Winfield also playing through an injury. He had that big interception in the game. Also the the kind of funny taunt back at Tyreek Hill, but he also, great game. And then Jamel Dean, Sean Murphy Bunting, Carlton Davis, very, very good job. And overall... You know, I know the Super Bowl MVP trophy is given to players, and rightfully so. It's given to a player, not a coach. But if the Super Bowl MVP was allowed to be given to a coach, Todd Bowles would have won it. The defensive coordinator for Tampa Bay, that was, like I said at the beginning, a defensive masterclass. And so they deserve all the credit in the world for that. 
offensively Tampa Bay played really well too and you know this the numbers might not reflect that but they did play really well offensively offensive line Leonard Fournette Rob Gronkowski those guys played really well but the story was the Buccaneers defense and how dominant they were okay on to the Tom Brady stuff because well this needs its own category Tom Brady has now won seven and I can't believe this is a sentence he has won seven Super Bowl rings and the Super Bowl MVP trophy that he received on Sunday was his fifth Super Bowl MVP. He's the first player ever to get a Super Bowl MVP with two different teams. Um, and that's <laughs> that's not even scratching the surface on crazy Tom Brady facts. But one of the things I didn't like, though, and this was part of the buildup going into the week, was people talking about how Tom Brady you know, went to a really good team, he went to a, like, really talented, you know, whatever. They were basically, to me, it felt like they were trying to discredit Brady by saying he went to a stacked roster. And I hate that take so much, because Tampa Bay was a 7-9 and nine football team. And did Tampa Bay have talent? Absolutely. They had some very talented players on that team. But a lot of teams have talented players. Minnesota Vikings have talented players. The Los Angeles Chargers, the Miami Dolphins, the Atlanta Falcons. All of them have lots of talented players, but last I checked, neither none of those four teams are in the playoffs. And then if you want to go a step further, I mean, the Chicago Bears have talent. The LA Rams have talent. The Indianapolis Colts have a lot of talent. And none of those teams are in the Super Bowl. It isn't just about having talent. Tom Brady did so much more for that team than I think was maybe, than I think might ever be appreciated by some of the people who just try and discredit him by saying, oh, he went to a super stack roster. No, he didn't. He did not go to a stack roster. He went to a team that had some talented players. But he elevated every single player, every single member of that organization the minute he went there. Because he brought everything and then some that you would want not just the play on the field it's not just about that it's about the leadership it's about the poise it's about the calm demeanor it's about the work ethic making players you know focus more right it's about the attention to detail all of those things come from tom brady primarily because he knows better than anybody who's ever played football in the history of football, he knows how to win more than anybody else does. And that's the type of stuff that I think needs to be appreciated more. But anyway, uh, the most telling Tom Brady stat coming out of this game, now that he has seven... <laughs> crazy to think about. He has seven Super Bowl rings. But in the history of the NFL, Tom Brady has seven Super Bowl championships. That is more than any single team in NFL history. Because the, the two teams individually who have the most Super Bowl championships are the Pittsburgh Steelers with six and the team he used to play for, the New England Patriots, with six. So Tom Brady, by himself, is more successful than any franchise in the NFL. Ever. And... Like, that type of stuff just shouldn't be possible. Like, what Brady has done in his career 
should be impossible in a sport like football that has a salary cap that has single game elimination and all this other stuff like this should be impossible but it's not impossible because tom brady he has now so far surpassed football that at this point comparing him to another football player feels demeaning in a way because Brady's peers are no longer Peyton Manning or Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees or Patrick Mahomes or Joe Montana. Those are not his peers. Brady's peers are guys like Wayne Gretzky, like Michael Jordan, Usain Bolt, Pele, Muhammad Ali, Michael Phelps, and all the other sports goats. Those are his peers, not football players. Brady is so accomplished at this point that he has surpassed football as far as any comparison. And that in itself is extraordinary because in some ways this is maybe his crowning achievement because he went to a Tampa Bay team that hadn't been in the playoffs for 13 years. They were a losing franchise. Historically, actually, Tampa Bay has the worst winning percentage before this season. They had the worst winning percentage of any team in NFL history. Tom Brady goes there, completely changes the culture, and through his play on the field and through his leadership off the field, he completely turns around a team and goes on the road three times. They went on the road and beat Washington, although granted that was a 7-9 team. But they went on the road and beat the Saints, who had made Tampa Bay their... <laughs> they're basically their little brother for a decade and they went on the road and beat green bay at lambeau and they went and beat patrick mahomes in the super bowl mahomes is extraordinarily good but tampa bay was better and so that is kind of the tom brady story of this and the final thing is the chief side so Obviously, the offensive line is the biggest story, right? The injuries and the omissions to the O-line were the biggest story because Mahomes was pressured more than any quarterback in, in, a, in Super Bowl history. And Mahomes really ran for his life, like, the whole time. And you know what? The thing I can say about Mahomes is that he didn't play that well, but that guy tried so hard. He was really, really trying to make plays. It just it didn't happen for him. And you know what? Games like that happen. They happen sometimes. And Mahomes, like, you can't deny he wanted to win so badly. He really, really tried. But his team was inferior. And he, you know, he didn't get the breaks he, he needed on offense. And, again, a lot of that credit goes to Tampa Bay. But the people trying to criticize Patrick Mahomes for the loss should stop. Because... You know, did he play well? Not really, but he really tried to make plays out there. And you can't sit here and say he played poorly. I don't think he did. But nonetheless, it's still a loss for Kansas City and one they'll have to live with here for the next uh, several months. I think the biggest takeaway from the offense overall wasn't really Mahomes but it was the lack of adjustments from Kansas City. And again, a lot of this is because Tampa Bay's defense is really good. But I have to wonder about Andy Reid. 
And for anyone who didn't hear about this story, basically, this was the week before the Super Bowl game. This was actually just a few days before the Super Bowl. But Britt Reed, who's Andy Reed's son, he's the outside linebackers coach on the Chiefs. And he was involved in a car accident that... Uh, there's a little kid who is currently in critical condition in the hospital, and obviously my heart goes out to the victims and the families affected. But anyway, there is a suspicion of alcohol impairment with Britt Reed. And so, you know, obviously, you know, the human story is way bigger than the football story, but... Andy Reid's the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. He's the play caller of the team. And I can't, you know, no, I don't think anyone will say this or anyone will confirm this ever. But I have to wonder, because that's his son that was involved in that accident and is, you know, being placed of suspicion of drunk driving. And so I wonder if Andy Reid's mind was maybe in two places and maybe wasn't 100% in the football game. To which, you know, we won't ever know that for sure, but it's something I wondered about because it didn't really feel like Andy Reid's best coaching game. And I, I and as an Eagles fan, I've seen really good Andy Reid coaching games, but it's, it's a tragic incident that happened, that happened to involve his son, and I have to wonder if that possibly you know, even just a little bit, if that made him kind of have a, um, a mind in two places type of thing. But anyway, like I said, my heart goes out to the victims in that scenario, and I really hope the kid in critical condition pulls through. But anyway, uh, the other stuff from Kansas City, the other takeaway was their defense. Their defense wasn't great to begin with, but they were really undisciplined in this game. They took some bad, bad penalties. And yeah, okay, the holding call on Mike Evans that led to the interception eh, a little questionable on that one you know you could debate that one either way the trip on Evans when Brady took the deep shot at the end of the first half that one was a penalty and I don't want to that, that one was pretty obvious he got tripped and then the one in the end zone also not a penalty because Brady like the ball was uncatchable but that doesn't mean Tampa Bay wouldn't have scored because they were within the 10-yard line. So they still could have scored even if they didn't call that specific penalty. But anyway, that's the Chiefs side of things. Really quickly, I want to do a 2020 NFL season takeaways. And this is just my little thank you note to the fact that I didn't think the NFL would actually be able to pull off a season. But they did. But it wasn't because of the league. It was because of the players and the coaches and the team staff. Those are the guys I want to thank for putting on an NFL season. The NFL itself did a terrible job through most of this. And Denver had to play a game without a quarterback. Baltimore had to play their practice squad in the game. Like, there was a lot that, you know, there was a lot of kind of messed up stuff that happened during the regular season and happened during the season just in general. But the fact that they were able to put on a season at all, and the fact that they were able to finish, 
is a testament to the players, the coaches, the team staff, and everyone involved with the actual playing of football, not the people in suits and ties in executive positions. So, thank you to the players, especially, for taking COVID seriously and for letting us have an NFL season because most of them did a really good job with following protocols and making sure they didn't take unnecessary risks. So that is something I think to take away very positively from this season. All right, and finally, my third section today, really quickly, I'm gonna do a little bit of a 2021 NFL offseason preview because now we're moving into free agency that's gonna be in March and then we're gonna have the draft in April. I'll have a full preview of free agency a little, you know, a couple of weeks down the line with my show. So don't worry about that, but this is just a little, little teaser taste, let's call it that. So first of all, there was a trade that happened that I actually didn't get a chance to talk about uh, in earlier episodes, but Matthew Stafford got traded to the LA Rams in exchange for two first round picks, a third round pick and Jared Goff and this trade to me was kind of a lose-lose which I know is a strange position to take on a trade but the Lions get a terrible Jared Goff contract and the draft picks are nice but I mean the Goff contract is really bad and now there's kind of question marks at quarterback I don't know. I don't love it from the Lions' end of view. It's not a horrible trade from Detroit's perspective, but I don't love it. And from the Rams' side of things, well, they, they've just des- decided not to use draft picks. Somehow the Rams got out of that golf contract, which is amazing to me. But obviously, it's a lot. They basically bribed the Lions to take the deal. So, don't love it from the Rams' perspective either. But I also don't think it's a terrible trade from their perspective either. So it's just, it's kind of a lose-lose. But like, I don't think they're awful trades for either team. I just don't love the trade for either team, if that makes sense. But anyway, that'll be an interesting storyline to keep an eye on as to what LA does. Because obviously the Rams are all in on trying to win a championship. Matt Stafford, I think, is a better quarterback than Goff. So he will at least improve the quarterback position. But the Rams have some notable contributing free agents that they'll have to try and re-sign including a guy like Leonard Floyd, who did a really good job helping take the pressure off Aaron Donald this season. The biggest storyline of the offseason, though, has to be Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson has requested a trade from Houston, and a lot of teams have called, apparently, and according to reports, Houston has pretty much hung up the phone and told teams he's not for sale. This cannot end well, mostly because I have a feeling Deshaun Watson's going to hold out. And if he holds out, Houston's not going to win a single football game next year. And this is probably going to get a lot uglier before it gets better type of thing. And so we'll see. Houston doesn't want to trade him right now, but I have a feeling that will probably change here eventually because the Texans need to get what they can. Watson clearly doesn't want to play for them anymore. All right, the next interesting offseason storyline, Carson Wentz. Well, currently my team's quarterback, but soon to be someone else's quarterback. According to Adam Scheffner of ESPN, a Carson Wentz trade is inevitable. 
and it's only a matter of time. So where could he go? Well, the Bears have been linked. I don't love that from the Bears side of things. The Colts have been linked. That's not bad. And the Broncos have been linked. A little more curious, but I could see it. So, it, for me, it's not really about where Wentz goes. It's more about what this says about the Eagles. Because to me, and this is where it doesn't make sense, Nick Sirianni was the offensive coordinator for Frank Reich. And my thought was, well, why are you hiring Sirianni to come here and be the head coach if he's not going to coach Wentz and try to fix him? Is he, is he going to coach, like, Sirianni is going to coach Jalen Hurts now. And so, if that's the case, well, why didn't the Eagles just hire Eric Bieniemy or not fire Doug Peterson? Because none of that made any sense. So, anyway, the Eagles are a complete dumpster fire. So, look forward to lots of fun Eagles rants in the near future from me. But the Wentz thing will be interesting to keep an eye on here. And then, another couple just really quick storylines. San Francisco 49ers, they're a team that was ravaged by injuries this season. They'll be a team to watch as far as how they try and get back into contention. The LA Chargers looked like they're a team on the precipice of a you know breakthrough here. So can the Chargers take the next step in their development um, to make the playoffs and you know contend in the AFC? And the last thing to keep an eye on here for the offseason, the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo has a really good team. Can they go just one step further? to get to their first Super Bowl since the 90s. We'll keep an eye on it. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got for today. I want to thank everybody for listening in. It means so much to me every single week. And once again, to everybody out there, please be happy, be healthy, and stay safe.